0: All right, welcome this last Sunday of the new year of the year. Uh, Tomorrow will be 2024. And uh, what a special, unique service to be able to end the year with. Um, This is probably only the second time in my ministry that I can remember uh, having a baptism and communion in the same service. And that's a special event to see both ordinances from the New Testament practiced through the New Testament church in uh, one service for those who are being baptized and taking the Lord's table. And uh, this is the first time since I've been here that we've taken it on a Sunday morning. And so this is a unique occasion, a special occasion uh, to be able to do that. To end the year with a testimony of someone who trusted Christ and is following in Believer's Baptism And then also to end the year in remembrance of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. It's also unique because it comes at the end of Christmas season as well. And so as we think about that today, the Lord has just prompted the the thoughts in light of Christmas to look at communion, a Christmas communion, connected to the Christmas story. Just a week ago, actually just less than a week ago, uh, you were celebrating Christmas with your family. Uh, and uh, we were in Illinois traveling, uh, went to my folks, and my parents and siblings were all together, and 27, 28 of us all in the same house uh, spread around. Good thing we live, uh, my dad lives next door to the church, and there's a gym, so we could go over and uh, get our wiggles out in the gym. And uh, so it was, it was a great with 17 grandkids, just a great time and opportunity uh, to think about the Christmas season. And then we come to the end of this year, Uh, December the 31st. And we think about uh, Christmas in light of communion, as we take communion this morning in the service. Um, I remember when Amber and I were in high school, kind of dating, I guess you would say, in that time of our life, uh, 11th, 12th grade, uh, Amber made for our family every Christmas, Christmas bread, just basically homemade uh, sourdough bread. Uh, that uh, was kind of special. And I remember my family used to tease me about it because she was kind of trying to bake her way into my family. Uh, and uh, so they would say, oh, this is Amber's Christmas bread, you know, and they'd all look at me, you know, and I'd get all red-faced and, and everything. One one year, my uncle uh, had come in for Christmas of the weekend and um, she, had, uh, she had forgotten to make some of that bread, or at least uh, failed to give some to my uncle, and uh, he remembered it in the years past. And uh, so, you know, he I remember we made a phone call Christmas. I remember it was a couple days before Christmas, Christmas Eve or so, and said, where's, where's that bread at? And, uh, of course, that's, uh, you know, very intrusive. So she, she brought us uh, on Christmas Day. Uh, her and her family came by and brought us some Christmas bread. And it's just kind of a, a special time. When I think about Christmas season, and we think about communion today, we think about the ultimate Christmas bread, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, you can't have the celebration of Easter Sunday, which is 91 days away, March 31st, today's December 31st. So only three months away that we're going to be celebrating spring and we're going to be celebrating the Easter Sunday and, uh, and, and we're going to be celebrating the resurrection and the victory of Jesus Christ. However, you cannot have Easter Sunday without Christmas. You cannot have the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ if it wasn't for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus left heaven and came to this earth. In fact, Christmas in the event of the birth of Jesus Christ, is, is the climax of human history that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld, John says, His glory, even the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And so when we think of Christmas, this, uh, we think of this service to end this year with taking communion, we connect it with the Christmas story. But I want you to see what Jesus did in Luke chapter 22 at that supper. Let's get a few thoughts and then we'll connect it to the manger scene. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 14 starts the event of Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. Let me read these verses here for us tonight or this morning as we see. Reminder, there is no evening service tonight. Luke twenty two fourteen And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, he gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my in my blood, which is shed for you. For behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. They began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray in the time that we have as we come to the table, Uh, Lord, that you would help us to see in light of what you have done for us, the sacrifice in remembrance, the memorial. What a special occasion to be able to see in one service both um, baptism and communion, see what they represent and what they mean. And uh, Lord, that they don't give to us any grace. That was only done, that is only done through Jesus Christ upon the cross but they picture what you have done for us. And they are a a testimony of our obedience to follow you, to continue to observe these ordinances um, until you come. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this service and this communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Chapter 22 of the Gospel of Luke opens up with two preparation events. Verses 1 through 6 is going to give us the narrative of the preparation of the betrayal by Judas Iscariot. If you notice in verse 1, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. The Passover is coming. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. So the Passover was coming. They knew Jesus was coming to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. So now they were seeking an occasion to take him, arrest him, and put him to death. Verse 3, then entered Satan into Judas, surname Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. So here we have this chapter opening up with the preparation of the betrayal of Jesus. Judas being entered into by the the devil himself and then communicating with the chief priests and the captains and and exchanging that 30 pieces of silver and then communicating how they were going to catch him at the Passover meal. The second preparation from verse uh, 7 down to verse 13 is the preparation for the Passover meal by Jesus and his disciples. And this was shrouded in secrecy. Jesus tells too, Peter and John, I want you to go to a certain village, and there tied to a certain uh, home is going to be a cult, and I want you to ask the owner, and that owner is going to allow you to uh, use that cult. And then uh, that's going to be for, um, for the preparation of... of um, the triumphal entry. And then, a couple of days later, he's going to tell those same disciples, to now I want you to go to a certain home, I want you to go into that area, and I want you to make preparations in that upper room. There's going to be a large upper room there, and I want you to set it all out, make it ready. I'm going to be coming and the rest of the disciples with us. And the location was not told to the other disciples. Why did he keep that a secret? He kept that a secret because he knew, at the same time he was planning the upper room uh, service for the Passover, Judas was also planning the spot where he would be uh, taken and arrested. So Jesus was keeping that from Judas so that Judas wouldn't know when and where the Roman soldiers could be there and where the captains could be there to arrest him. Because Jesus had something he wanted to do. He didn't want to enter into the room and then while he's washing their feet, the soldiers to come in. He wanted to observe the supper with the disciples. So Jesus is planning and determining everything to fit in its right place. Josephus records that during the Passover meal, three during the Passover week, three million people would come to Jerusalem for this week. Jerusalem would be packed. Travel in and out of the city would have been chaotic. Crowds would have been everywhere. How were they going to catch the Lord Jesus Christ in all of that crowd? They needed an insider to help them do it. To do it in secrecy as well, lines would be formed along the temple where people would be exchanging for for animals and for sa- the sacrificial lambs. then eventually, when the day of uh, uh, when the day of Passover was come, where they would take the sacrifices, the families would get into the line, and each family would take a stand in this line, come up to the temple, and eventually slaughter their own. Um, their own lamb while the priests would catch the blood from the animal and then would take it in and make the sacrifices. Then they were to take the portion of that lamb and they were to take it back home with them where they would partake of the Passover meal with their family. So all over Jerusalem that night, people were partaking of the Passover meal. The animal had already been slain. Some have indicated with the timing some animals were slain on one day some on another day. There were specific times. When did Jesus' Passover take place? Did it take place earlier than what everyone else would take place? There's a lot of debate on the timing and I'm not going to get into that. But when Jesus Christ comes into that upper room with His disciples the meal is already set the table's already laid out the cushions are already arranged in the order all the preparation for this moment had been planned and predetermined by Jesus just as he said it would be. Everything went as Jesus planned. And this is just a picture to what is going to happen over the next 24 hours. Everything that is going to take place is going to take place as determined by God. It's not an accident. Jesus praying in the garden, sweat drops of blood, and then here comes Judas and the Roman soldiers to take him captive in the middle of the night when no one else is awake. All by God's plan taken into Pilate's hall and then into Herod's hall and back and forth to be beaten and to be mocked, to put a crown of thorns over his head and a robe on his back, to be put a cross upon his back and led up to Golgotha and there be nailed to a cross. All of that was determined and planned by God. None of it was an accident. And Jesus knew full well what was going to happen. I think it's interesting when we come to a few of these verses just to look in verse 14. Notice what it says here. And when the hour was come, do you see that? All along in Jesus' life, from the time he was born in Luke chapter 2 to this time when Jesus walks into the upper room, the hour was now come. And Jesus had been, I don't have time to take you through all of the Gospels where Jesus is telling His disciples and telling the crowds and telling His family that the hour is coming, the hour is coming, the moment is coming. And Jesus was specifically talking about that time where He would be taken and crucified and suffer and die for the sins of the world as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Even John the Baptist at his baptism recognized the true meaning of the reason Jesus came to this world, to suffer, bleed, and die upon a cross. Here is the lamb who is going to be sacrificed. Now Jesus, Luke records for us as Jesus walks into that upper room, he says, the hour is now come. Notice what it says here in uh, verse 15. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired. Two words that are used here, desire and desire. It basically means I greatly, earnestly long to take this supper with you. Jesus had wanted to take this meal. He was longing to sit down at this table with the disciples. He had been looking forward to it all week. And the reason is, is because when he sits down at this meal, Jesus is going to give them an object lesson. He's going to teach them something that he's not taught them before in the previous Passovers. At this moment, Jesus is going to take a tradition that the Jewish people have been following for thousands of years, and he's going to change it for a new age, under a new covenant, for a new meaning. And that is what we are doing here today. We are partaking of what Jesus instituted that very night that he so longed to partake with his disciples. He couldn't wait. It was, uh, you know, I I don't know about you, but a lot of times during Christmas and Thanksgiving, I can't wait for that special meal, that turkey, that Ham and it cooks all night. Some of you that have it cook all night, and then you wake up that morning, and uh, and and it's filling your whole house. And you're anticipating, uh, uh, you know, taking of that uh, of that turkey, and then you know the, the 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 side dishes and the dressing and all of the other stuff. And they put it out on the table, and I, I notice what happens. Some of you, you know, you kind of creep into the kitchen to the person who's carving the turkey, and you take a little piece, and then you take a little, uh, another little piece. You might as well just go get a bowl and start, all right? Because you you can't wait, all right? And then you sit down there and and you eat and you eat and you eat and you wish you could eat some more. And then you leave it out and you can't wait till supper where you can eat it again. This is that anticipation. Jesus Christ, as he comes to that upper room with the disciples, Luke records that Jesus tells his disciples, I've been longing for this moment with you. Because I have something I want to teach you. of something that is very important, and I don't want you to forget it. And when Jesus says in verse 16, if you'll see this, He says, "...for I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God." Notice He says that twice. He says it again in verse 18. "...for I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come." Right here, in surrounding this supper, this meal, Jesus is telling them, I'm not going to take it anymore with you now. Because in just a matter of hours, I'm going to be taken away from you. He already told them that. That was John chapter 14. He'd been telling them he was going to suffer, bleed, be given into the hands of sinners, and be crucified and die and resurrect on the third day. He had told them that. But Jesus, in light of this meal that he is taking, he is longing to partake, he is longing to teach them the significance of the meaning that he's getting ready to do for this communion, Lord's Supper, taking the Passover, changing it to a Lord's Supper and the Lord's Table. And then in light of that, he reminds them, there is future hope. One day, we will partake of this again, but it will be in my Father's kingdom. And so Jesus, in light of looking at the cross, he looks beyond the cross and he sees the hope at the end of the tunnel. He sees the end of the kingdom of God who is going to come to this earth where Jesus Christ is then going to gather with his believers. This is recorded in Revelation chapter 19. Maybe it'd be good for us to turn over there in Revelation 19 and see what John, who was in the upper room that night, is going to record for us the culmination of that promise that Jesus said. In Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus Christ comes back in verse 6, the Scripture says, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunder, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent raveth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she would be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou, do it not. I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. And for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and I saw heaven open. So there John is seeing a preparation meal that is taking place where the believers will come and gather with the lamb, and then they will partake in a meal, a supper, just like Jesus took that night. One day, those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior will partake of that meal as well in Revelation 19. So as we look at that this morning and we see this Passover meal that Jesus is going to give and teach to the disciples, the significance, Jesus is looking past the cross and He's looking to the future of the coming of the kingdom, anticipating the day when He will sit down with His believers again and He will partake of that communion meal. Notice in verse 17, and He took the cup. Notice again in verse 20, likewise also the cup after Supper. Luke is the only one that tells us there were two cups at the Passover. These were two different cups. Actually, in the Passover, there were four cups. Luke chooses to record for us two of those cups and the significance of the cup. So it's not that Luke gets them out of order, because in the other Gospels, you take the bread, then you take the cup. Here we have the cup, bread, cup. All right. If you know the Passover meal and you know the order of the Passover meal, this is not confusing to a Jewish person because they would have understood the order and how the bread and the cups were taken significantly throughout the meal. Usually the meal would sometimes take as as long as two or three hours to partake of because there were different elements to it. However, Jesus only specifies the connection of his body and blood to the unleavened bread and to the third cup. And that is recorded for us in verse 19 and 20. Now, as I have seen this in Luke chapter 22, I believe we are reminded of the communion and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we go back in time to Luke chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, just go back to that first Christmas. When Mary and Joseph, expecting this child, have come into this barn or this stable or cave, and now the Lord Jesus Christ is born. And Joseph picks up that firstborn son, puts it in his arms. Do you remember when your first child was born? Do you remember the joy and emotion that you were going through? Yesterday was the eighth birthday for Adeline. I need to think back through it her here. She was born on December the 30th. She was my tax baby. Yeah, I think she was due like on the 2nd, right? And She came that one day earlier. So 31st, we spent time in the hospital. In fact, we got out of the hospital on the 1st, uh, January 1st. And so I remember when, when she was born. I remember each one of mine when they were born. Joshua, when he was born. Firstborn. I remember that feeling of now being a dad, being a father, and the weight of responsibility upon my shoulders and realizing what I had. You see, life is a gift. It's a precious gift. And there on that first Christmas morning was born the Prince of Life. You can see him in the manger, The birth surrounding everything that life means. And and this little boy who now was going to bring joy, already prophesied by the angel, that joy would come into the world through him. I want to remind you, he became humanity. He took on human life. He was alive before. No other person preexisted his birth. Except Jesus, Jesus is the only one who existed before he was born. The Bible talks about the preexistence of Christ, even in the book of Ma- Micah, which prophesies Micah chapter five that prophesies the birth of the Messiah who would be born in Bethlehem. Talks about the fact that whom his um, who was before time. In other words, he existed before he was born. The Jesus was in a conversation with the Pharisees about His birth and His life. And in John, it records for us that Jesus told the Pharisees, Before Abraham was, I am. Claiming that He existed before He was born. In other words, before He was born, He was God. He had come before in what we would see as a Uh, the pre-incarnate Christ, uh, a theophany, where He came and appeared in human form, just like the fourth man in the fire, just like the angel of the Lord that is seen. And just because he, He had come before didn't mean that He had a human body. He just came in the form. However, on Christmas morning, Jesus took on flesh. He became something that He was not. But he didn't cease to be what he previously was. He was God. Now he took on himself the form of a servant. And he became a man. He lived a perfect human life. He lived life as it was supposed to be, without sin. The Bible says in him was no guile. The Bible says that he knew no sin. He was perfect. He was was God in flesh. That's why his whole birth was surrounded in, in in a supernatural conception. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of a virgin. He had no sin nature. He was perfect. He lived a perfect life. Never one time did he commit sin. So as we see this Lord Jesus Christ who was born, He was born. He took a body, a human body, flesh and blood, and He lived in this life, a perfect life without sin. And then notice the Scripture says that He was given for us. Look in verse 19 of Luke 22. And He took the bread, He gave thanks, and He broke it, and He gave it unto them, saying, This is My body, which is given for you. Jesus here is describing for us what we call in theology the vicarious death of Christ. The word vicarious means in your place. That means Jesus came, had this body, lived a perfect life, but when he died on the cross, he did not die for his sins. He did not die for Himself. He did not have the penalty of sin over Him. But He died for you. He died for me. He died in our place. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Isaiah 53 said He bore our sorrow. He took our grief. It was the chastisement of our sins, our iniquity that was put on Him, not His own That was his sacrifice. So as we see this baby in the manger on that Christmas day, we are reminded that he is the bread of life. John 6, 35 says, I am the bread of life. John 6, 47, I am the living bread. John 6, 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, talking of himself. Notice what he says at the end of verse 19. This do in remembrance of me. You see, we always are in danger of forgetting. Uh, This last, uh, I think it was last Christmas a year ago, um, my dad was going through his attic looking for some of the Christmas um, decorations, and as he pulled down, he found a box. And he opened up the box, and there were several um, unwrapped presents that were in there from Amazon. And, and he kind of opened them up and realized and saw, and then he gave me a text, and he said, uh, well, you know, are, are these yours? And he listed a couple things that were in there, and I was like, oh, yeah, I bought them last year to be put under the tree. So I sent them instead of my house. I sent them to my dad's house. He took them, put them in his closet. We went the whole Christmas season, didn't open them up. When he packed up stuff, he put them back up in the, in the, in the attic. He said, well, you don't have to get so-and-so a gift, and you don't have to he's already got them. You got them two years ago. <laughs> you know, we, how, how easy we forget. We are forgetful creatures. And here in the upper room, Jesus establishes this meal, and then he holds up that piece of bread, and he says, this is my body that is given for you. Do it in remembrance of me. We think, well, why would they forget? I mean, what this is a significant event? Yeah, but you, you don't understand. Uh, uh, as life moves on and the centuries go on and, and, and one thing passes to the next, we as, as humans are very forgetful and we take things for granted. And Jesus is establishing this communion table for the church for centuries to follow so that we will continue to remember the importance and the seriousness of our sin. So we think about this Christmas bread, his body that was broken and laid, and how we are to do it in remembrance of him. And then look here at his blood, not just his body, but also this little baby in the manger who was surrounded with the reality of blood. You see, everything about the birth of Jesus was natural. The only miraculous thing about Jesus was his conception. We call it the, the, you know, the virgin birth because he was born of a virgin, but his, his birth was natural. There are a lot of um, uh, teachings that have gone around that have tried to um, make his birth miraculous in some fashion. But that is not the case. Luke records for us that there's nothing in the, in the record of his birth that is anything out of the ordinary. In fact, it is very ordinary and mundane and normal. How it brought joy to the mother, but it brought pain. He was consumed, conceived supernaturally, but his birth was all natural in the sense that it accompanied the pain of any normal birth. Even the cutting of the umbilical cord, the Lord Jesus Christ, that source of life for the baby while in the mother's womb. Now when that cord was cut, the blood that was pumping into his life is now over. Then at eight days old, Luke records for us that Jesus was taken to the temple where he was circumcised. This would be the first time in Jesus' life that he would bleed. But it would not be the last. You see, the cup here that Jesus takes and says in this verse, This is my blood. He is giving a representation of the blood that is going to be spilt for the sins of the world. And the cup reminds us of two important aspects. Number one, the seriousness of sin, because the life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood must be spilt. The whole Passover meal was surrounded. The process and the preparation was a very bloody process. And then also this cup, the blood, teaches us and tells us the penalty of sin is death. Hebrews 10 and verse 4 says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Hebrews nine twelve 12 says, Neither by the blood of bulls and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled, the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works? to serve the living God. Jesus tells His disciples in that upper room in Matthew 26, 28, this is My blood which was shed for you. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Jesus on the cross, spilling His blood as a ransom for many. His perfect sacrifice by which gives us eternal life and forgiveness and pardon. It takes about a minute for one drop of blood to travel your entire blood system in your body. An average heartbeat is 72 beats per minute. Therefore, an average heart pumps 1.3 gallons or 5 liters of blood through your body per minute. In other words, it pumps 1,900 gallons per day almost 700,000 gallons per year or 48 million gallons by the time someone lives to be 70 years old. At an average of 700,000 gallons of blood per year, Jesus dying at the age of 33 years old, that would have been 23 million gallons of blood that have pumped through his body by this time. It takes 120 days for your blood to renew in the body. That means Jesus' blood renewed in his body 99 times in his lifetime. And yet by the time of his death, when that Roman soldier took that spear and pierced his side, the Bible says out came blood and water. I believe typifying the, the, the ultimate sacrifice and the excruciating agony of His death as being crucified to spill every single drop in His body. The first time that blood was shed, the first time it was spilt from His body recorded in the Scripture was at His birth. At eight days old. As an infant child where He would be cut. But It wouldn't be the last. He would ultimately shed his blood for remission of sin. And Jesus says to his disciples in that upper room as he took the cup, he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. I remind you this morning as we come to the communion, that first and foremost, before you partake, that you know that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The Scripture warns that we not take the communion unworthily. Paul's saying that unworthily, knowing that some people who claim to be Christians, who in fact are not, because they've not put their trust in Christ, and by taking the communion, they think that they're taking it in in some kind of merit or some kind of spirituality that'll make them closer to God, when in fact that's not what's going to happen. In fact, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll make a mockery of the body and blood of Jesus by taking it without putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So if you've not trusted Christ as your personal Savior, I would ask this morning that you refrain from taking it. Trust Christ first. And then if you've not followed the Lord and believers' baptism as it was given testimony this morning... That is the first step of a believer to follow in obedience to the command um, uh, to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Ghost. I believe also that is a testimony and a prerequisite, if you want to say, before taking communion is that we follow in obedience to the first ordinance that is given baptism as Jesus was baptized and then commands us to be baptized. And then last year we see in 1 Corinthians 11. If you'll turn over to 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 27. Paul says this, "Whether whosoever wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord." Verse 28. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So I believe a third prerequisite for taking the Lord's table is a self-examination. As a believer that you look inside and say, Lord, is there anything in my life that has gotten between me and you that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be confessed, Any offense that I have with someone else or my neighbor or family member that I need to confess, I need to seek forgiveness for. This is an opportunity corporately as the church to to deal with sin in our life as believers. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the... That is the guilt and the shame and the spot that sin can leave on the life of a believer if he chooses to hide and not deal with sin. That guilt and shame can be washed away and cleansed, even by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I would ask today as we take of the communion this morning that you know you trusted Christ as your Savior. You know you followed the Lord and believers' baptism and that you take a moment and a time this morning to reflect upon what area you need to seek forgiveness from the Lord Jesus Christ, and He can do that. That doesn't mean getting saved again. It means dealing with sin in your life that is ongoing between you and your Heavenly Father. Father, I pray as we close this morning. And we move into the communion service. Lord, I pray, thank you for your body and your blood that birth, without the incarnation, without the Christmas story, there is no Passover. There is no forgiveness. There is no sacrifice on the cross. Lord, you had to be born human with a body and blood and, and in our place. We thank you for that. If there is someone here today ending this year, that does not know Christ, that sin is still hanging over them, the wrath of God and the penalty of sin that is death, would they realize that Jesus suffered, bled, and died upon the cross in their place? And that for them to receive Jesus is not taking of the communion this morning. Them receiving Jesus is trusting by faith the grace and the gift of eternal life that comes only in Jesus Christ. That this morning, they would trust Christ as their Savior before it's too late. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I would like for Stephanie to play just a hymn of invitation for just a moment, or Jessica. And before we move into the communion, just to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we would love to share how you can know Christ, the pastoral staff or one of the deacons, a man with a man or a lady with a lady before it's too late so that you can know without a shadow of a doubt that your sins are forgiven, that Jesus is your Savior and you have eternal life. Maybe I can pray for you this morning. I don't want to embarrass you. I, I want to point you out. I'm not going to ask you to come forward and, I do want to pray for you and encourage me. And you say, Pastor Cochran, I'm here today at the service. and I've seen the testimony of baptism. I've heard the message of communion. I know the significance of my sin and the death. And I need to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. And right where you're seated, you'd raise your hand and say, Pastor Cochran, would you pray for me? I need to trust Jesus Christ this morning. Is there anybody like that? Anybody that would say, Pastor, would you just pray for me? We'll take a moment. Raise your hand till I can see it and pray for you. Then, believer, I would encourage you in the moment that we have to go to the Lord and seek forgiveness. Ask Him to renew a memory of sacrifice that He made in that Christmas when He came, took human flesh to eventually die on the cross.